Suzanne. How are you today? Good. How are you, Michelle? Good. I just thought I would change it up from starting with why hello, just jumping right into saying yeah. hello to you this morning. Well, that sounds good to me. Are you feeling refreshed, re-energized? A little bit, yeah. Baby Logan had kind of a long night and um, maybe getting some new teeth. And um, so it was a, a sleepless night, but that's okay. He's in a good mood this morning, so... Well, that's all that matters, but it probably was a sleepless night for everybody in the household. (laughs) I I kind of think it was, but as long as he wakes up in a good mood, it's all good. So how are you feeling? Well, I'm feeling much better this morning. I swear a good night's sleep changes my opinion on everything. I can have a really bad day, a good night's sleep and feel completely refreshed and ready to go in the morning. So I've got a lot of energy and I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing for this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a good thing. I may talk a whole lot. Well, that would be a change up from me doing all the talking. I always feel like I dominate the the airtime that we have. (laughs) Nah, that's just your perspective of things. So what should we talk about today? Well, you know, I was thinking about that. But before we jump into that, I know we recently recorded an episode talking about nothing. It was our random Jerry Seinfeld episode. Yes. And at the beginning of that episode, you put a challenge on me and we forgot to answer that question. So maybe just real quick, jump in there and answer the question. Absolutely. And the question was, what was your all-time favorite Seinfeld episode? That would be it. And my middle age is showing a little bit here because I can't remember the name of the episode and exactly what happened in it, but it involved George. (laughs) Those are the best ones. (laughs) I know, at his job where he built like a desk where he could take naps in it. Do you remember that? I do remember that one. Oh, yeah, I remember all of them, but... I can't remember all the specifics around it, but I remember really laughing during that, saying that idea is brilliant. (laughs) Brilliant. Yeah. Okay. And that reminds me of a George episode that is also a favorite of mine. And I think it's, I don't know what the title of that episode is, but he's trying to avoid phone calls from Susan, his soon to be fiance. So he makes a voicemail recording where he said, believe it or not, I'm not here or something. And he sings it. (laughs) this voicemail message. And then he sits there by the phone when Susan tries to call over and over and he listens to her hanging up on him and getting mad at him, but he doesn't answer the phone. But my youngest son, who is the biggest Seinfeld fan, made that his voicemail for about five years. He sang that George tune (laughs) as his voicemail. (laughs) So that was a great episode. That is a great episode. And I hope all of Eric's friends knew why he did that. Oh, yeah. And in fact, this was when he was in high school and his basketball coach actually called and had to leave him a message. And we got the recording of the coach laughing so hard he couldn't talk after hearing the voicemail. So it was it was pretty funny (laughs) that that episode lived on with us for a long time. Yes, and well worth it to get the message like that for the from the coach losing his composure and just yeah 
<laughs> getting caught in the moment. I love it. So, okay, that is your favorite George episode, but I know you have a favorite all-time episode, and I was very impressed that not only do you have a favorite episode, but you know the name of the episode. So why don't you share it with everybody, Suzanne? My favorite episode is Master of My Domain. And I think that's all I have to say about it. I think that if anyone's curious, you should go back to Seinfeld and find just type in Master of My Domain and look up. Just that say episode. what it's about. <laughs> well, it's about it's about the four of them. They're all, I think, in some sort of broken relationship. Like they either are don't have a, a significant other or they just broke up with someone and they're in the coffee shop bemoaning not having sex and then they challenge each other to who can go the longest <laughs> without having sex and they put money on the table for the bet and whoever wins and it's a great it is such a h- h- hilarious episode do you want to tell us who wins? No. Nope. I don't remember that episode, so I guess I'll have to go back and watch it. Well, see, I said you have to go back and look at it. It's a great episode. My favorite. Okay. Well, it must be a middle age, <laughs> which is a good lead way into our topic today, which is positive aspects of being middle age. Okay. Stop right there. <laughs> what? We did not say positive aspects of middle age. We said aspects of middle age. It's like you threw that positive word in there because it's going to be a lot more challenging to come up with positive aspects of middle age, not just aspects of middle age. It's like, way to try to sneak that one in. I swear it said positive. No. It did. No, I'm going to look it up right now and tell you what it said exactly. Um, Well, this was obviously your topic choice. uh, Well, I guess unintentionally put a spin on it. Yeah. And um, yeah, and just for the record, I've been through middle age. I think I'm on that back end of middle age. Okay, you're right. Okay, there we go. It says, what are the best features of middle age? That's what it was. What are the best features of middle age? So, okay, I'll give you that. (laughs) Well, you know I'm going both ways. (laughs) And, you know, just that word middle age, it just conjures up such a negative image in my mind. So I like the word middle adulthood better. Okay, I'll give you that. So let's just call it middle adulthood and we'll go both the positive and negative sides of it. Okay. Which when I think of the negative sides of middle age, I really just think of all the physical components of it. I was just going to say the same exact thing. Yep. All the physical components of middle age that you never really thought were going to happen to you. I know. They're unpleasant. They're shocking and sometimes just gross. Um <laughs> Could say more. I probably will say more. I was going to say we can start with the gross. Yeah, middle age is not pretty. No, it isn't. Well, you start with the gross part, and I'll I'll follow suit. No, I'm I can't go down the gross the gross path, but I can tell you. And you know, we may have talked about this a little bit when we had Katie on, and we talked about plastic surgery. But I want to ask you, what age were you? when you first noticed middle age setting in? And what was the first thing you noticed 
when you felt like, this is a little scary. This might be middle age. I'm in denial. So, <laughs> so you I don't, don't be- think I can ever <laughs> say that there was a moment when I was like, oh, this is middle age or welcome to middle age. But the wrinkles on my forehead, very much so. I was like, ah, oh, where'd those come from? And then, and I hate them so much. And I'm not in menopause yet, but hot flashes. Freaking hate those little things that just come out of nowhere. And I feel like I'm on an island all by myself (laughs) as I'm reaching for a fan or something and asking everyone around me, did the temperature just change? Is that just me? (laughs) I hate those things. Yeah. Well, I agree. I fortunately didn't have frequent hot flashes. I had them. I don't don't think you can escape them, but I had them. I just didn't have them very often, which I feel very fortunate because I did hate them as well. And mine come in cycles. They'll come in for about three weeks and then they'll disappear for six months. But that cycle is uh, speeding up right now. And (laughs) I hate them. Okay. So what do you consider middle age? Let's discuss middle age because I think you don't think middle age hit as early as I feel like middle age hit. So what is your middle age age? I'm under two weeks away from turning 50. We're obviously recording these episodes a little bit early. Uh So I'm not 50 yet, but when you hear this, I will be 50. And thinking about that, 50 is half of 100. So I'm definitely well into my middle age, but I never thought of a number that would get there. Maybe 43, but... Wow. Because that would put you at 86, right? Right. See, and I always considered 38 to 40 middle age. Damn, you went young. 38? I know. Well, but but I also remember, because I remember the the first experience I had where I felt like, oh God, this is middle age. And I think I was like 35. And I dismissed it as no, you're too young to be middle aged yet. But so I actually have a moment that it struck me. Whereas it sounds like you, (laughs) you haven't accepted middle age yet. And you don't see those physical attributes like I recognize so very quickly. No, I see them. I just don't like that that word. I mean, according to you, I'm about 12 years into the middle age. <laughs> well, I did say I did say I'm on the back end of middle age. Like I, you know, I I'm dangerously close to considering myself old. And my grandson looks at me and thinks of me as old. You know, I don't look middle aged to my one year old grandson. He's looking at me like that ancient woman up there. <laughs> okay, well. You don't know that for sure, but I do remember looking at my own grandparents from that young age of very young, I don't know, three, four, five, anytime, and them seeming much older because I had my parents and then I had my grandparents who seemed much older. But from where I sit today, they weren't. No. Younger than I was (laughs) at this time. I know. Right about the same age. Well, and see, and I think that's a pretty incredible phenomenon because when we're around our peers, you know, people our own age, our friends, our siblings, I think we don't see our aging. I think we consider ourselves, you know, like, like mentally, my mom said this once years ago, she said, mentally, I'm still 24. And then I look in the mirror and I go, ah, not 24 anymore. But I think we kind of latch onto an age and 
since we're all growing basically at the same rate, we don't see the aging. And when the aging really is apparent is when a child sees you and you realize that they see you as older. They don't see you as your parents' age. They definitely recognize you as an old person. And I always think that's because that's when it kind of slaps you in the face. And now that I'm saying that, frankly, when my daughter was 22, and a lot of times people have said to us in our younger years, I've aged too much now, but they used to say we looked a lot alike. But when I would see us together in a photograph or in in the mirror or even in a reflection, I'm like, crap, I look so much older than my beautiful 22-year-old daughter. <laughs> It's like, what happened? Where is that 22-year-old face that I think in my mind I still have? I don't. Yeah, for me, I think it wasn't so much a number or looking in the mirror that made me feel middle-aged. I think it really struck when, well, I taught preschool and I was always the young teacher at preschool. I was always 10 to 15 to 20 or more years younger than everybody else I worked with. So I was always a young, fun teacher. And somewhere along the way, I became not so young anymore. And I realize that when I look at younger people and the people that I'm friends with, I sometimes think, wow, they must think I'm so old or so ancient. And it doesn't matter if it's five years separating us, 12 years separate. I just, I feel that with other people like they must be judging me like she's getting so old. <laughs> I don't think they're judging you. Well, no, judging might not be the the right word. It might just be like, wow, you know, older than I thought because I still see myself as not old. Right. And I had the, a similar experience and this probably happened. I don't know. I can't even decide how many, maybe the year I turned 50, I had the same feeling in a different way because when Jeff and I, were dating when he was right out of college. I was actually right out of high school and through college. And he was working, you know, for a corporation at the time. And so we went to all of these corporate events. And, you know, it's like you kind of drew the short end of the straw for some of these events. You know, you're the youngest, newest person working. So you have to go to all of these evening events. And so we attend, I don't know, you know, once a week, once every couple of weeks, we attended some sort of charity event or gala or auction anyway. And then you'd sit at this round table of people. And I was always by far the youngest one at the table because I'm five years younger than Jeff. So I would look like this young little thing. And I there would be all these middle-aged women sitting at the table with me. And I always ordered dessert at these dinners. And I remember one of the president's wives saying to me, oh, honey, someday you're not going to want to do that. (laughs) And and everyone always thought it was so funny that I always ordered dessert at dinner. And these women never ate dessert because they were middle-aged. And and yeah, and then I wake up one morning and now I'm that middle-aged woman, or I was that middle-aged woman. Now I'm that old woman. I'm the oldest woman at the table instead of the youngest woman at the table. And it's like, when did that happen? When did I become the oldest woman at the table instead of the youngest woman at the table? Yeah, I get that. But I know when you are the oldest woman at the table, you are not saying to other people there, don't order dessert. 
You won't want to do that later. No, no I could I, never I, see you doing that. So no, you learn. Because, no, because in I your still, life, because I'm still the first one to order dessert. I'm still the one that looks at the menu and say, "Ah, uh, yeah, I'll have the s'mores with extra chocolate, please, and load up on the whipped cream." What do we always say when they come around and say, <laughs> "Is anybody up for dessert?" What is the response we give? Always. <laughs> It's, I've got to look. Yeah, you can't, you can't not look. Yeah, absolutely. And we usually order something. We usually share it at the table, which is another big, woohoo, I don't share, but one bite of dessert. But I still applaud dessert at the end of a meal. But for the record, we gave up those corporate events, you know, that you go to years ago. We don't go to those things anymore unless it's one of our business trips. But yeah, I said, okay, I can pass that torch to a younger couple. I don't have to go. Yeah, I don't have to go either very often. And I'm thankful for that, I will say, because those were at times torture. (laughs) Yes. Yes, they were. And they drag on forever. Dinner would drag on forever. And yeah, there's nothing worse than sitting there with a full stomach after dinner and it dragging on for another hour and a half while people eat dessert and drink their coffee. <laughs> and But that is a good part of being middle-aged is you do get to pass the torch to the younger people when you don't want to do it. You have a little bit more flexibility and a little bit more ability to say, mm, nope, not going, mm, not interested. You can kind of pick and choose your events. Yeah, look at you getting all positive and reflective on us here, Suzanne. Hey, I embrace um, the positivity of being middle-aged or older. Well, what was that moment? We got off track or we, we moved on to something else without um, you t- you sharing your, your moment when you realized like, wow, this is middle age. I was 35 years old and I, I was horrified. I called my sister, as a matter of fact, and I said, oh, my God, I have back fat. Oh, Oh, the back fat moment. The back fat moment. And I attributed it to middle age because I never in my life, even when I was pregnant, did I experience back fat. And that very first time, I don't know if I was putting on, I was probably putting on a bathing suit and I had back fat. It was in a bad way, an aha moment. It's like, oh my God, what is this? And, and I did, I called my sister and she she thinks I coined that phrase back fat, which I think I did. I think I was the first person ever to identify that particular role of fat as back fat. And that is one of the things I consider gross on my side. <laughs> back fat, yeah. And it's really, I mean, unless you're, which you are, someone who is an avid fitness person, once you develop back fat, it's a really hard thing to ever get rid of. Once it's there, it's there. It's like cellulite, which would be another moment in my life. The first time I discovered cellulite on, oh, I have so many of these moments now. They're just kind of coming to me. And you thought you'd do all the talking on this episode. Well, I just thought I would bring in the positive aspects, but listening to you, I have thought of a negative aspect and a story from the, we're there when this happened because you know, I have tattoos. I have 12 of them and they're little and at 30, they were really cute and fun. And I still really like my tattoos. So I'm not regretting them. 
I'll just put that out there first. But I remember when we were in Vegas and I was going to get my Tierra tattoo and I was getting it on my side and we were with a much younger friend and she said something along the lines of, oh, I would be afraid of getting like a Tierra on your side because as you age, it could turn into like a headdress or something that it would go from that beautiful small tiara to this elongated and long like headdress. And I'm like, oh, never. And now I look at that or I won't look at it actually going just in case. <laughs> just in case it's starting it's to look like changed. A, it's no longer a tiara. It's a headdress. That is yes. funny, funny. Do you want to take a guess as to which friend brought that to our attention? Yeah. Do I want to say her name out loud? I think she knows. I think we know. Yeah. You don't have to say it, but yeah, I'm going to be sharing that story with her at the wedding. About, oh, yeah. Hey, remember well, that? <laughs> yeah. I And I know that she listens to our podcast, so she um, will hear, oh, will she hear it before the wedding? I don't know if she will or not, but she is one of our very closest friends in the Chaniga Corporation world. And we don't hold her very young age against her, just like I don't think she holds our older age against us. I think she, we get along great and we're good friends. So we do, but there was that one moment also <laughs> in Vegas where we went to the, the shops at the Caesar. I feel like we're calling her out, but that's okay. Oh, I'm not calling her out. She's wonderful. And she just brings that spark of wisdom and youth and she does everything. She's wonderful. But in this one particular moment, we had gone into the Caesar Forum shops and we were headed to Fat Tuesdays to get drinks. And there was a huge H&M store. And she's like, hey, let's go into the H&M shop and, <laughs> or H&M store. And we both look at each other like, uh, okay. I don't know that we can wear that, but you go do that. And we're going to go get our drinks with an extra shot because now, <laughs> yeah, now I, I can't wear yeah, clothes from there. Yeah, definitely one of those moments where it was very apparent to us that she was younger than we were because she could still wear H&M and look fantastic. If I had put on anything in that store, I would have looked hilarious. People would have gawked at me <laughs> if I had right. even tried. And they have cute stuff and it did. It looked great on her. She's adorable. And it was just one of those moments. I usually don't feel that because we all get along so well and we all can talk and she's so well-spoken and so fun. But yeah, in that moment, I'm like, oh, I could go the gap. Yeah, that was one of those moments where you realize- But didn't you age out of the gap? Yes. Or was it Ann Taylor that no, aged you out? No, it's the get. Oh, no, it was Ann Taylor that gate aged me out. I was so ticked that day when I tried to order something online or I was signing up for something and it asked my age and it was 18 to 24, 24 to 33, 33 to 44. And then it was like 44 to 50. And then there were no other options. And I was like 54 at the time. And it's like, well, guess what, Ann Taylor? I won't be shopping at your store anymore because I don't fit your age criteria anymore. Aged out. Right. No yep. clothes for you, Suzanne. Yep. No Aged out. For you. Yep. I went, I went immediately to the older women's stores and started shopping there. And I'm much happier now because older women clothes are much more comfortable than Ann Taylor ever was. 
Yes. And the shop is happy that you came to them also, these other adult shops. Yeah. I feel like Julie Roberts and Pretty Woman, where I could just walk in with all my packages from an old woman's store and say, hmm, oh, too bad. You missed out. Hmm. Too bad. It's not really old woman. It's like <laughs> right. Fisher. Well, well, true. I mean, I think traditionally when Eileen Fisher first came on the market, it was geared for older women. Now, I was probably in my twenties when Eileen Fisher came on the market, and they maybe didn't intend it for older women. But as a twenty-something-year-old woman, I probably looked at it as like, "Ooh, that's old woman clothes." And then all of a sudden, hmm, not so old anymore. Now, is that because Eileen Fisher went younger, or I just got older? Hmm, middle age. There it is again. Let's just put it out there. I don't know. You look fabulous, though. You have great style. Well, thank you. But I do wear older women clothes per my perspective of when I was in my 20s looking at those clothes. Again, I could never wear that. It's too old for me. Well, guess what? I wasn't even <laughs> no. aware of stores like Eileen Fisher when I was younger. Like I didn't even know they existed. So I have no perspective there. I know. The only reason I knew they existed it's because Nordstrom carried Eileen Fisher. They didn't carry Ann Taylor, but Nordstrom carried Eileen Fisher in the old woman section. You know, that's where they carried it. And you never went into the old woman section. I would go into the old woman section to buy for my mom at that time. And look at me now. Now I now they know me by name. I come up the escalator and they're like, oh, Suzanne, so good to see you again. Want to come see the new Eileen Fisher? Just saying. I think they know you very well there. <laughs> they do know me. They do. And not just in any, I mean, it's like I can pretty much go to, there are like five or six Nordstroms in the country that know me by name when I enter the store. They know me. Hey, it's a talent. It's, it's a, a gift. gift. It is right? a gift. It is a gift. Yep. And it makes me happy. It sparks joy. So when we talk about middle adulthood, so far we've concentrated on the more negative aspects of it. And all of them have really been um, self-realization as to our age and physical effects. As we shift into the positive aspects of middle adulthood, there's a lot there. But again, I think that's just growth and lessons learned and a perspective that we didn't have at that younger age that really plays to our benefit right now. I agree, but I'm I'm pouting a little bit. Oh, you have more to say about the negative I, I just had one more story. Can I just okay, one share more one more story and then we'll move <laughs> to positivity. Well, okay, so I also have a very false sense of how good looking I am <laughs> and how fit I am. And remember my mind tells me I'm still 24. And so when I look in the mirror, I still, all right, this is, I used to see a 24 year old woman, you know, and the cellulite that's on the back of your thighs, you don't, you never see it. You know, you don't know it's there. So you just assume you don't have cellulite. And I've always actually been very proud of my arms. I have very fit arms for whatever reason. I don't know why. And I think this was probably about 10 years ago. And my sister-in-law was staying with me at the time. And she was complaining about her underarm flap. And I don't know if you have underarm flap. I didn't think I had underarm flap until she pointed out what she said was her underarm flap. And she's a very fit woman as well. And she looks fantastic. 
but she pointed this little thing out to me. And the very next time I looked in the mirror, it's like, oh my God, I have underarm flap. And it's like, I had blissfully gone through life, not knowing about underarm flap, not looking for it. And I found it when someone pointed it out to me. So that, okay. And now I promise I won't have any more negative attributes of middle age, but underarm flap is a big one. Well, I have noticed one thing throughout all our podcasts and friendship that you are very open to the power of suggestion. As soon as somebody (laughs) says something, you find it on yourself. Well, yeah, but doesn't everyone, okay, now that I've mentioned it, how many women are out there are going to say, ooh, underarm flap, I never considered that, and are going to look at their underarms and discover, yes, they too have flappy underarms. I'm going to just avoid it so I don't have to look at it. I'll, I'll put on a t-shirt or something, long sleeves when I look at them. Well, and that's the whole thing. And Katie has always said to me over the years, she said, mom, you know, short sleeves for women over a certain age, you know, you got to be really careful with short sleeves. And I think she was just kindly saying, mm, arms age, just like the rest of your body, you know, careful with the short sleeves, they draw attention to your upper arm. And then she also said that about cap sleeves, you know, cap sleeves, careful, mom, got to watch out for the cap sleeves. And she's right, but she's already very cognizant of it. Whereas I go blissfully through life thinking, oh, I look great. I look fantastic until someone points out to me, maybe not so much. You didn't escape the flappy arms. Well, I think you look fantastic. Well, I thank you for saying that, but I know that's the best response you can give me. So it's not a made up response. (laughs) I would just not say anything if I didn't have anything positive to say. Okay, but now we're going to go on to the positive attributes. Okay, well, I'd like to point out maybe that the first positive attribute you should consider is your memory won't be as good to remember flabby arms or flappy arms at some point, you're not going to (laughs) care. Well, good point. But yeah, memory is another attribute. And I'm not going to talk about it because it's not necessarily positive. So I think we have to throw some positive. (laughs) I was just kidding about that being positive because it really frustrates me when I go into a room to get something and cannot remember what it was. And that becomes more and more frequent. And one of those things about memory. Like I've always prided myself in remembering numbers. I can, I used to be able to remember every number there is anywhere. Phone numbers. I could go back to my childhood, remember my phone number at home. And you know what? That went away. I still have some good memory of numbers. I can usually pull them out if I think hard enough, but it used to be, I could pull out a number anytime, anyplace. And that's gone. Middle age. Yeah. It took it away. Yeah, you better pull this out of... Okay, I'm bringing in something positive. Okay, so here is something positive. Again, I said, you know, we can go off on ourselves physically and all those changes that happen because we never thought they would happen or at least I pretended they weren't going to happen. But the positive side really comes from perspective and life lessons. And one of the things I think is really positive about middle adulthood is that at the age we are now, we get to know our parents as adults and we also get to know our children as adults. So we're in that perfect place to 
kind of see all the work that our parents put into us, turn it around, appreciate them for who they are and the life they've led and everything they've done. And we get to look back on how we did as parents and now know our kids as adults and see what they're contributing to the world and what they're bringing and just getting to know them on another level. So I think that's a pretty positive part of middle adulthood. (laughs) I agree. It's like when you're raising your children, first of all, you're so tired and you're so busy. I think you miss so much of what's going on around you in their worlds. And I it is fun to sit back and watch them be adults and have a great deal of pride in who they are, what they've chosen to do with their life. And I don't say that because I think I have perfect children. You know, every one of my children have their issues, but how they deal with their issues, how they treat their issues. Yeah, it is a cool thing to sit back and watch their lives unfold. Yeah. And even the aspects of their personality that might have caused you fret or worry or exasperation when they were younger, you can appreciate it now because you don't have to live with it 24-7. They have grown up and those little things become endearing rather than challenging. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Absolutely. And they're at the age where they can make you a grandparent, which is a whole (laughs) nother ballpark. Yes, it is. And we're fortunate to be here to enjoy it. Definitely we are. So another positive aspect of middle adulthood is as a middle-aged woman, I don't really care about what other people think of me. There was a time I would dwell on everything I said, every move I made. And now it's kind of like, if they like me, they like me. And if they don't, I don't care and I don't need to know why because that's their business. And it took a long time to get to that point. And so I really do appreciate having that perspective. What do you think? I agree with that too. You definitely hit an age where it's like, it's just not worth the energy. It's just not worth it to worry about whether or not people like you. Because there's always going to be people out there that don't like you or they just tolerate you, but that's their issue, not my issue. I am who I am. And yeah, and I think getting to middle age, you really embrace that. And I think it comes naturally. I think it just is part of our development that we get to a point where it just doesn't matter. So true. And how about this for a positive, Suzanne? More disposable income and time on our hands to travel and to do those things that we weren't able to do when our kids were younger. That's a positive. (laughs) That's a huge positive. And can I say there's a certain amount of pride that Jeff and I have um, knowing that we have had decades of time to build that retirement nest. And yeah, we're kind of reaping the benefits of that to some degree right now. And we enjoy it. Yeah. And having that time to do those things and picking and choosing how you want to spend your time. You know where the BS lays. You know where true friendships lay. You know what you like to do and what you don't like to do. And so that kind of goes back to your point earlier about we, we can pass on the torch, but we also can make those choices as to how we live our life and live it to our own game plan, to 
what inspires us and what calls to us rather than all the the weeds and the the things we don't want to to do anymore. Right. And along that same line, which this goes a little deep and I, I'll try to keep it as positive as I can. But, you know, unfortunately, Jeff and I have had several people in our lives pass away since my dad died about 23, 24 years ago. And we've lost some really close people to us. And I think what we've learned from that in our middle age is that we have to enjoy life now because we're not guaranteed old age. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's like when you're young, you still feel pretty invincible, invincible. And it's hard to imagine life ever ending. But I think when you hit middle age, life experience, including death, including illness, creeps in. And I think Jeff and I have really embraced that fact. And it's like, okay, let's do this, these things while we're healthy, while we can, because we may never see old age, which sounds depressing, but it's not really because it's like, okay, well, we're, we're seizing the moment. We're seizing the day. Carpe diem. Yeah. Carpe diem. I said it right. You did say it right. Yeah. Seize the day. Yes. And that is so true. I mean, just that awareness of time and time passing and each morning you get up saying thank you because it's another day to make a difference and it's another day to enjoy those things in life, the people, the places, the opportunities. So yeah, I get it. And I think our younger selves didn't do that. We, as our, I know I didn't, I kind of just skated through life And I think that's another developmental thing that comes with age is the awareness of what it means to age and how we need to enjoy it. And in middle age, in middle adulthood, we actually get to that point where we become the ones who share our wisdom and our experiences with our kids and hopefully can make a difference in their life when they are all worked up about something that seems from our eyes pretty trivial a bump in the road, but is causing them a lot of angst, we can be that voice of reason for them. It doesn't mean they have to listen, but we can relate or you can be empathetic about where they're at. Yeah, I think empathy is the word because that's it. We've probably experienced similar things in our lives that we can draw on to give our children advice and to help our children keep things in perspective. So I think empathy is the right word. And with the world changing, I know that sometimes they may think our opinions are antiquated, but they're still based on experience having been in similar situations. And maybe it gives them hope or gives them a moment, at least a pause or to breathe and say, okay, they made it through it. I'll make it through it too and refocus. Right. And interestingly, in my opinion. I also think even if we're giving that advice today and we don't think they're listening or they're annoyed with us for giving our advice, when they're on the other side of that experience, I think they might understand our advice and appreciate our advice a little bit more just because we've been there, done that. And they may not realize it until they've been there, done that. I'll give you an example that just popped into my head. I was 24 years old when Katie was born, and she was born eight weeks early. And I knew nothing 
about having children? Absolutely nothing. And I was in la la land. <laughs> it was like, okay, I'm just doing what the ner- doctors and nurses tell me to do. And it was one of those surreal experiences where life was kind of spinning around me and I didn't know what was happening. And I just gave birth to this premature baby that was immediately, I didn't get to hold her when she was born. They immediately took her away to the NICU, put her in an incubator, hooked her up on a ventilator. And it was like this whirlwind for me. And she was three days old and I was overwhelmed with emotion. I didn't know what to do with it. And I went to my parents' house and I remember sitting on their, in their kitchen, just sobbing to no end. And my dad said to me, he said, Susie, what, what is upsetting you? What is making you cry? And I hadn't really even thought about it. And I said, I'm just so afraid she's going to die. And my mom, who lost a baby in her early years, looked at me and she said, you will survive. And I was like, oh, that's all I need. That's it. I needed my dad to point out to me what was actually happening with my emotions and my mom to say, she may die, but you will survive this. And I didn't at that moment think I could survive it. But guess what? 34 years later, here we are. (laughs) And I survived everything. All of the trauma of dealing with a, a premature infant and dealing with incubators and tubes and ventilators and medications And she was right. I survived. And my dad was right. You're filled with all of these emotions that you haven't identified. Let's identify them. And you're going to feel better. Hmm, Good advice. They were middle-aged. I was in my 20s. Did I appreciate that? Well, I did. At that moment, I did appreciate their advice because it made me feel so much better. But looking back on it now, it's like probably the best advice they ever gave me in my entire life. And that really reminds me of advice that my grandmother gave my mom after I was born. Because again, as you explained, not with the NICU or anything like that, but as you explained, having that first baby is overwhelming and you don't have a learning manual. It's just, here you go. (laughs) Go live life with this baby. So my mom came home from the hospital with baby Michelle And was sitting there and just started sobbing. And my grandma said, what is wrong, Mary? She's like, well, I have this baby now. I don't know what to do. And in that moment, my grandma got to share the advice with my mom, who later, when I had postpartum depression, shared it with me also. So it really is amazing to look at and think of from that perspective. Okay. So was there one piece of advice that you can share with us? Or was it just general, you'll be fine? The baby will be fine? Yeah, I mean, just in that moment, you know, my mom got the reassurance from her mom that everything would be okay. And then my parents shared with me when I had my babies. And so many times throughout my adulthood, they would share with me the words that my other grandma said, this too shall pass. And I don't know, when I hear those words, there is so much hope there because it really will pass. And some days, because had a lot of hard days with the divorce and everything. I was making it through the day in minutes. Okay, just make it through the next five minutes. Just make it through the next hour. Just make it through the next day. And generally, you know, in time, it all smoothed itself back out. But in those moments, taking those chunks of time and just knowing this will pass, this will pass. So, yeah. 
it, it's just so fascinating because we do latch on to those pieces of advice that our middle-aged parents gave us when we were young. And I'm sure that our kids are latching on to the same advice we give them. They maybe don't recognize it. They maybe don't notice it. But I think when they're on the other side of it, they'll appreciate it and they remember it. I think my kids are at the stage where they think it's nagging or meddling right now. And right. I, I usually try to wait until they come to me, but sometimes I have to jump in there and say something, but I try to wait till they come to me. But I guess that's just it. It's like, yeah, all the advice we give them now, they may not recognize as good advice, but I think if we're patient, we're going to see, we're going to reap the benefits and they're going to reap the benefits of it. And then they're going to share it with their kids yes. and they're going to live on as our parents live on and our grandparents live on. So it's pretty remarkable. I know. And I knew this was going deep. I mean, it's deeper than I thought it was going to go, but it's good. So I think we need another positive aspect of middle age that I don't take into that deep, dark, dark place. Well, I can say a positive aspect that I'm approaching. I'm not there yet, but I know you are there, but you would never take advantage of it. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm intrigued. What is it? Senior citizen discounts at restaurants. <laughs> My dad loves those. And he said to me, Michelle, when you turn 55, I think that's the age, we're going to go to IHOP together and get a senior meal. I want to do that with you. So he's already anticipating it. And I'm like, hey, hey don't rush Woo-hoo. it. Like, yeah. Okay, and I'm going to tell you the first experience was something along those lines. And we did do a happy dance was when the beginning of COVID, when Safeway decided they were, or no, it was Walmart. They both did it. But for us, it was like they opened up the store to seniors between 7 a.m. and 8 a.m. So only people over the age of 60 could do grocery shopping. And this was before we understood Instacart or, and a lot before a lot of that was really set up efficiently. So it's like when we had that, that like, Jeff, you're over 60. You can go grocery shopping at 7 a.m. I mean, it was like a party in this house. Jeff got up at 6 a.m. He showered, he got dressed and away he went to Wal- he went to Walmart the first time and did his grocery shopping safely, not being exposed to COVID anywhere <laughs> between seven and eight. And it's like happy dance. <laughs> it was great. That would be something. It was that great. would be something to celebrate. <laughs> yeah. But have you taken advantage of like the senior discount at McDonald's and gotten a discounted coffee or discounted meal yet? No. I didn't know fifty-five was the age. I always thought it was 60 or 65 was the senior. I thought so too. And you know what else I thought? I thought the AARP. (laughs) I was just going to bring that up. Consider middle age starting maybe at 55 or older age at 55. Well, when Rob turned 50, they allowed him to sign up for it. And guess what? His spouse got the benefits also. And I'm thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Wait, I'm not there yet, but. I like discounts. Oh, we proudly carry our AARP cards. But the day they arrived, it was it was not a good day for when Jeff turned 50 and got his A. It was like, what in the hell is this? And who do they think they are sending us yeah. an AARP card? 
<laughs> it's like, what That the? was a no orange juice needed day. Yeah. It's that like, was a straight to the scotch day. Yeah. Pour me another because, yeah. And the same thing happened when I, and I was anticipating it because I knew when Jeff got his, but yeah, it was a tough day. But now we're proud AARP people. Well, see, there are positives to be had out there, Suzanne. Yeah, but see, I think I consider AARP not middle age. I consider that old age. I'm just saying, I I didn't put okay, that in. You didn't have to go there. Like we're trying to wrap up this episode, and now you're throwing us into old age. Well, I mean, the truth hurts. You're not in old age, but I am. I'm past middle age. <laughs> well, according to you, I'm probably pretty close to past middle age. <laughs> Oh, you're right. We do have to wrap this episode up because then we're going to have to do an episode on old age. But I'm not ready for that yet. Do you have like one more thing that you consider positive about middle adulthood or just going to leave it here? No, I'll just leave it here. I, I don't have anything. I'm sure you do. Well, I'm sure every generation has this, but being in middle adulthood right now, I got to experience 80s music live. And I think that's pretty cool. And <laughs> yeah, I would do an 80s party or a skating party or something. So I, I bet each generation feels like that about their own music. Maybe not the current generation. Okay, but that is no, okay, that is <laughs> such, still good. That is such a middle-aged thing to say. <laughs> Our music was so much better than today's music. I mean that's that's okay, really stop calling <laughs> stop calling me out. Yeah, well right, you're correct. And I corrected myself there at the end. I said, yeah, you know. Oh anyhow, I guess with all that shared, I should go find some Geritol or something. and <laughs> You can put it in your champagne, skip the orange juice and add the Geritol. <laughs> oh my God, that sounds disgusting. <laughs> it does. I think I'll just skip the Geritol because I'm really not there yet. But <laughs> yeah. anyway, everyone, thanks for joining us this week. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast, Orange Juice Option. What many of you wouldn't know is that this podcast has been a shared vision of ours for many years. And knowing what we know now, I can't believe we've waited so long to make our vision a reality. Right? I really think the hesitation on our part came from all the unknowns of podcasting. The biggest unknown being the toughest one. Where do we begin? That's when we found Podigy and Riley. And you know, if we had Godson music, I'd cue it right now. Riley is a know-everything-about-podcasting kind of guy, and the best part for us was that he was so nice and down-to-earth about everything. And by everything, I mean he answered so many questions, he gave so much reassurance, and he offered advice on things we hadn't even considered. Initially, Podigy helped us choose our recording equipment, find our music, create our artwork, and set up our templates for recording. And seriously, how many Zoom calls did setting up the templates take? Probably too many to count, because we are technology challenged. But the best part of each one of those calls was the reassuring voice on the other end. I love that about Podigy. Now that our podcast setup is complete and things are running a bit smoother, knock on wood, Podigy is going to edit each upcoming episode, do our show notes, and get our show out there for the listeners. Their help takes so much off our plate that all we really need to worry about is our friendship, next week's topic, and if it's an orange juice needed kind of day. So if you're interested in podcasting, please don't let the unknown stop you. Please check out Riley at podigy.co. That's P-O-D-I-G-Y dot C-O. 
They have packages available based on each show's individual needs. Thanks again, Podigy. Our next toast is for you. Cheers. Cheers.